0: Hi, this is Jeremy Pearsons, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for picking up this message series. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I hope you've learned some things from it. I know it's been exciting for us to get to minister it. A uh, little something different for you on this fourth message. When we were ministering this series in the conference, it uh, just ran out of time, but felt like there was something else on the heart of the Lord that really needed to be shared, and it wouldn't. this series wouldn't be complete with without where we need to go in this. So something a little different for you today, coming to you right now from the kitchen table in our home. uh, But uh, I believe the Lord has some specific things He wants to share with you along the lines of this series that we've been in, Who Cares? It's a good question to ask, and we need to know the answer to it. Uh, Why don't we pray, and then uh, I'm gonna get into the Word with you just for a few minutes, and I pray it's a blessing to you. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father. We have your word. Lord, I'm asking you today once again for eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. We want to see Jesus, hear his voice, and understand who we are in him and who he is in us. And I pray, Lord, that you take these words and root them down on the inside of us so that they spring up and grow and bring change into our lives. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in the book of First Peter chapter 5 throughout this entire series, and I, I want to go back there right now, and if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. Uh, if you don't, that's all right. If you're driving, just keep driving. Don't worry about turning in your Bible. Uh, there's plenty of time for that. But listen to this from First Peter chapter 5. We've been on this topic asking this question, and it's an important question, and the question is, who cares? Who cares about your life? Who cares about your family? Who cares about your kids? Who cares about what school you go to? Who, who cares about your career? Well, the answer to all of that is Jesus does. Jesus cares. And you need to know that. And that's why we've been reading this scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me read it to you again. He says, God resists the proud. And of course, if you've listened to this series so far, you know that that is not something we want in our lives. Uh, we know from other places in the word of God that God is just not big on pride. He wants nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, he can have nothing to do with it. I don't even think it's something that just you know, makes him mad and he doesn't want anything to do with you because you got pride. There's something in the nature of pride that shuts the door to God in your life. You find out in the rest of this verse that though he resists the proud, on the other hand, he gives grace to the humble. And what is God's grace? Well, first of all, it's so big that we couldn't define it in one message or in a hundred messages. It's just too big. But when you begin to study it, you find that God's grace is his favor on your life. God's grace is his strength in you and on you. God's grace is his help, his help coming to you in a time of need. That's why the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help. God's grace is God's help. All of these things that are in God, that make God who He is, it's the grace of God. And anything that has come as a gift from God to you through Jesus, that's how you know it's grace. So what would your life look like with more grace on it? Because the good news is James says in James chapter 4 that God gives more grace. So that means He gives more more salvation. He gives more healing. He gives more wisdom, strength, more help, more favor, more of a manifestation of the presence of Jesus in your life. That's what will change things. And that is the grace of God in you. That's the grace of God on you. And he says that God gives that grace to the humble. God is giving that help. He's giving that strength and favor and, and everything that comes through Jesus. He's giving that to the humble. And the problem with being in pride, the problem with being a quote-unquote proud person is that you don't get the help from God. You don't get His strength. You don't get His favor. You don't get His mercy. You don't get everything that comes from Him to you, every good and perfect gift that comes from God to you through Jesus, my friends, you and I have no time in this life to live without his help. We don't have any time in this life to live without his strength. Let me ask you something. If you're not living by his strength, whose strength are you living by? Can only be one answer, your own. And you've probably figured out by now that living by your own strength gets you absolutely nowhere. That's why Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's the opposite of that? Leaning on your own understanding, leaning on your own strength, leaning on your own ability. And in yourself, you have nothing, you can do nothing, you know nothing, but praise God, thank you, Jesus, we are not in and of ourselves. We are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And if you think about it, that's how you got the grace of salvation. The grace that comes, that came to you in salvation, came because you humbled yourself. You say, well, how did I humble myself? When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, what you said was, Jesus, I've been a terrible God. I can no longer be my own Lord. I've gotten myself nowhere. And the only thing I've ever God and myself is just into bigger messes. So I'm trading you. I give you lordship over my life. And I put my faith in you. I put my faith in your ability to lead me, your ability to guide me. I put my faith in your strength in me, right? And what happened was when you humbled yourself like that and you exalted Jesus, then you got the grace, the grace that saved you. We are saved, the Bible says, by grace, through faith. This not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And that's what grace is. And grace is for the humble. As a matter of fact, it goes on in verse 6 of First Peter chapter 5 to say, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time being exalted, being promoted, being given a place of importance, given being given a place of impact and leadership, being exalted by God. That's God's grace in your life, man. That is that is God skipping over all these other people who look more qualified, who are prettier than you, smarter than you. So so everybody thinks and maybe even you think, but He's just looking for somebody who will humble themselves, and that's the person he can exalt. Now, how do we humble ourselves? And if you've listened to the other messages leading up to this one, that you know verse 7 is the answer to that. How do we humble ourselves? By casting all our care upon him because he cares for us. What's the answer to this question, who cares? It's a good question. So much of the time we ask it without really expecting an answer, but you need to be able to answer the question, who cares? And the answer is Jesus does. Jesus is the one who cares. And not only does he care for you, he wants to care for you. He wants to do the caring in your place. Go with me to another scripture we've been looking at in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And uh, these are the words of Jesus. You have to forgive me. You might be hearing this popping sound. I think it's my refrigerator. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. And look at what Jesus said in verse 25. He said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Now, if you've been listening to this series so far, you know that these little words do not can and maybe even should have been translated like this. Stop it. Stop worrying, Jesus said. And once again, let me reiterate this. If you do something Jesus told you not to do, what's that called? Jesus comes to you and says, don't do this anymore, and you go ahead and do it anyway. What's that called? Don't overthink it. You know the answer. It's sin. It's sin to worry when Jesus told you to stop worrying. And yes, you could think of it as the sin of worry, but really what it is, it's the sin of pride. Because pride, pride has a motto and it says this, I got this. I can do this. I can do it all on my own. And when you lay in bed awake at night worried or you go throughout your day worried, you taking anxious thought about your life, Jesus says here, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on, when all the pressures and the cares of life are with you and you're feeding on that and you are thinking on that and you are talking about that and you are worried out loud about that. Can I tell you what that is? It's the sin of pride because in essence, you are saying to God, I care more about this than you do, so I got this. But baby, you don't got this. You don't got it. He's got it. Look how far it's gotten with you having it in your hands. It's time to turn it over to Jesus. Amen. He says, therefore, I say to you, stop worrying about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And the answer to that question is yes, life is more than food. Body is more than clothing. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father still feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Then he asked this question in verse 27 Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? What has worry ever added to your life? Worry cannot make you grow physically. You're you're not short, and so you worry about it, and then the next day you're an inch taller, and it doesn't work like that. Worry can't make you grow physically, and we all know that. I mean, it would be foolish to think that worry could make you grow physically in your body. But listen to me, it's just as foolish to think that worrying over your finances can cause you to grow financially. Just as foolish, just as wrong. Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add really anything to your life? Then he says this in verse 28, and we spent some time looking at this, but I want to look closer again today. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? He said, look at the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, of course, in uh, one of the messages previous to this, we talked about what it meant to toil. It's that hard, uh, worrisome labor, hard, painful, exhaustive labor. That's what toil is. And we found out that toil was one of the first things that happened to man after he sinned. Because before that, man didn't have to sweat for anything. It had all been a gift of God's grace. All you had to do was eat. You didn't have to work to eat. You just had to eat. But as soon as he sinned, God came to him and said, Adam, because you've done this, then the earth is going to bring forth thorns and thistles, and you're going to have to sweat if you want to eat bread. And in toil, you will eat of it. And Jesus identified later here in the book of Matthew and in other places in the Gospels, he said, the cares of this world are like thorns that choke the word. Thorns are man's toil. Thorns are man's sweating to earn his own keep, sweating to make his own way. And my friends, that is what Jesus has redeemed us from. He bore the crown of thorns. And in exchange for your toil, in exchange for that crown of thorns, he took your crown of thorns and he crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercy. You and I have been crowned with his grace. But I want to look at these words toil and spin because they can be applied in the way we've been talking about it. Physical, hard labor, working under your own strength, no grace on you, no grace in you. You're just working every day and it's wearing you out. There's a difference between working like that and working with the grace of God in you. And that's why Paul said, I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace that was with me. He's saying the grace is literally doing this work. It might be my hands, but it's the grace of God in me. That's his strength. God's grace is God's strength. But you know, there's another application I believe to this that I wanna look closely at for the next few minutes. Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and then he told you what they don't do. Did you know what you don't do? There are things that you don't do that will cause you to grow. On the flip side of that, there are things that if you do them, they will hinder your growth. We always think about trying to grow and what we can do to make ourselves grow. What we can do to make ourselves grow financially, grow in relationships, grow in friendships, grow in a position of authority or, or being promoted. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And there are things to do as you are led by the Spirit. There are things to allow grace to do in you. But you need to also realize that there are things not to do, because if you do some of these things, they will hinder your growth. For example, Jesus said, these lilies grow by not toiling. So what he's saying to you and I is if you want growth in your life, you're going to have to not toil. Toil is hindering God's growth supplied by his grace in your life. Did you know that? But listen to this, it doesn't just mean that hard, painful physical labor. It's it could also be applied to the way you think. Have you ever said this about your thoughts? You ever said that you just felt like your mind was spinning? You've got so much on your mind that your mind just is spinning around and around and around. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think people hear this sometimes and they think, well, what are you saying, Jeremy? We're not supposed to work hard? No, listen, that's exactly what Paul said. I'm laboring more abundantly than they all. There was He was working hard and hard at work. But the point is, is it you doing it or is it grace doing it in you? And I'm not telling you you're just not supposed to think. (laughs) Please, I hope you understand that. I'm not telling you just, oh, just shut your brain off and don't even think about it. No, I'm telling you that you can live life having clear thoughts, having succinct thoughts, and you don't have to live with a spinning, toiling mind. There are people waking up living every single day and they wake up in the morning and their mind just starts going a million miles an hour. The, this thought, that thought, whatever, I uh, got to get ready, got to get to work, got to get the kids to school, got to got to do all this, got to pick the kids up from school, got to get them to soccer practice, got to get them home, got to make dinner, got to put them to bed, got to go to bed myself, got to get back up. And you know what? It's a spinning, burdened mind. And I really think that's the best word for it. Those kinds of thoughts can begin to sit on you like a heavy weight or a heavy burden. And Jesus is saying to us, it's not producing anything in your life, so stop it. Stop worrying. Stop spinning in your mind. Relieve yourself of that burden. And Really, I guess I shouldn't say it like that because you can't relieve yourself of it. Well, how am I going to get rid of it? The good news is the Bible tells us that the anointing is that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. The anointing on your life can keep your mind from spinning. Go over a few pages to Matthew chapter 11. I want to show you something Jesus said. In verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the No one knows the Son except the Father, and and nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And that's you and that's me. Jesus wills to reveal the Father to us. Amen. And then he said this in verse 28. In light of all that, Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor, there's that word toil, and are heavy laden. That's that burden. You are burdened down. You are toiling with this burden on your back. You are burdened in your mind. You are burdened in your heart, in your thoughts, in your emotions. And Jesus said, come to me, give me that burden, and I'll make a trade with you. You give me your burden, I'll give you my rest. You give me your toil, and I'll give you my rest. How does that work? Well, there's work to be done. So, so how does that work? Jesus goes to work on your behalf. And we're going to, I've got scripture to show that to you as we proceed in this, but I want you to, to, to hear the words of Jesus here. He's making a trade with you and I. He's making a trade with us saying, I'll take your burden. You take my rest. I want to talk to you about the gift of the rest of God. The rest of God is something so unique and beautiful because I believe His rest affects us in every area of our lives. Did you know you are a three-part you, you are a three-part person. Some people feel like they're just so complex, and there's so many pieces to the puzzle of who they are. Well, you're not complex. You are not that complex. You are a three-piece puzzle, and those pieces are spirit, soul, and body. And the rest of God that Jesus came to bring us affects us in every one of those areas of our lives, but they must affect us in, excuse me, it, the rest of God must affect us in that order, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus is saying, I will give you rest. Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life and he is your savior and his father is your father, then you in your spirit have been given his rest. That's why he said in the book of Ephesians chapter two, that when he rescued us out of our trespasses, out of our sins, what did he do? He lifted us up. He raised us up to seat us together with him in heavenly places. It says we've been seated with him seated. I want you to get that picture. I'm sitting here in this chair at my dining room table right now, and I I, I want you to have a picture of, of you sitting. Maybe you're sitting right now. What are you doing? To sit is to rest. You are no longer standing under your power. You have put all your weight, you have put all the pressure on that chair that you're sitting on, and the chair is doing the work the seat is the one doing the work now apply that to what the word of God tells us we have been seated with Jesus in heavenly places when did we get that seat well the only appropriate time to sit down and rest is when the work has been done is that right The only appropriate time to rest is when the work has been accomplished. And Jesus, hanging on that cross, what did he cry out? He said, it is finished. What's finished? Everything. The work, all the good work. Work, the righteous requirement of the law, the works of the law that had to be fulfilled, Jesus did it. It all got fulfilled in him, and he said, It's finished, it's done, it's over. And what's he saying to us? Take your rest. Take your rest. And when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, he was introducing to the entire world. The era that we're living in now, the day and age we're living in now, is the day of grace. You know, God rested on that seventh day of creation. And days one through six, He called them good, didn't He? He saw the work and saw that it was good. But on day seven, He called it holy. That's the day He rested. Friends, that's the day we are living in right now. All the good work has been accomplished, and now we take our place of rest, seated in heavenly places, because Jesus cried out, it's finished. Your spirit is at rest, praise God. Now listen, it's that spirit rest. If you don't know how to rest spiritually, then you will never know how to rest in your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you will never learn how to rest in your mind until you've learned how to rest in your spirit. In other words, your mind will be subject to spinning, subject to toiling, finding no rest. The scripture tells us in the book of Proverbs Verse 23, he says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart. Well, how do we guard our heart? How do we guard our soul? Look at the book of Philippians chapter four. Let me tell you how we are to guard our hearts. Philippians chapter four, in verse six, it says this, be anxious for nothing. How much, according to the Bible, how much are we supposed to be anxious for? Hmm? Nothing. Zero. Nada. We are to be anxious for nothing. And I tell you what, if you studied this out, you would find that these words in this verse are the exact same words that Jesus said that we just read in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, take no anxious thought. He was saying, stop being anxious. That's exactly what Philippians 4, verse 6 is saying. Do not be anxious. Stop being anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, verse 7, and the peace of God will guard Excuse me the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus the peace of god that passes understanding what does that mean it means you are in the middle of a situation and according to the to what's going on in your life there is no way you could possibly be at peace and yet you are. Peace has passed your understanding. You don't understand how you could have peace, but you do. And it's the peace of God that is supposed to guard our hearts. The peace of God, that's the same thing as the rest of God. Just imagine that peaceful environment, that peaceful place where you take your rest, allowing that peace to guard your heart. What does it mean to guard? If you can imagine a guard taking his post outside of a gate and, and a wall and there's a home or something behind that gate, what is his job? The job of that guard is to not let anything in that's not supposed to be let in. That's what a guard does. And that's what the peace of God can and will do for your heart. The peace of God will stand guard over your heart, not allowing anxious thought in, not allowing worried thought to make its way into your heart. Praise God. This is the wonderful peace of God that comes as a gift of His grace. Jesus told us don't let your heart be troubled. You don't let it be troubled. How do I do that, Lord? By receiving by faith the peace of God. Letting peace be your umpire. Letting peace lead you. Letting peace guide you. And not allowing anxious, worried thought to enter into your heart. Guard your heart with the peace of God and don't let worry rob you of your peace. See, peace will displace worry. Peace will flush out worry. Worried thought has to be replaced. That's why he went on to say, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, you take all that worried thought and you exchange it, you trade it, you replace it. You replace worry with whatever things are noble. You replace anxious thought with whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Those things that you know are not from God, you replace them with what you know to be a gift from God. You are replacing your toiling with God's grace. Amen. But if you don't know how to rest in your soul, which comes from rest in your spirit, then you have no chance, no hope of ever resting in your body. And really, this, I believe, is what the Lord wanted to say to you in this final message. You will never learn how to rest in your body until you can rest from the inside out. You want to know why people lay awake at night worried, watching the numbers tick off that clock minute by minute, hour by hour? It's not because they're not tired. Many of them are very tired. Most of them are, ver- most of them are very exhausted. Why? Because of their toil and hard, worrisome, painful labor. And they come home and they think, I just want to go to sleep. But they can't. Why? because their soul isn't at rest and because their soul is not at rest, then their body is being robbed from the sleep that it needs. You know, your body needs to sleep. If I got young people listening to this, that might come as a big shock and revelation to you. You need sleep. Receive that from somebody who, well, you know, a few years ago was a little younger than he is now. Man, I love me some sleep. I appreciate sleep. But you need to realize that you, you need sleep to function. And I know that sounds so silly for us to be preaching about sleep, but you've got to realize sleep is a gift from God. I'll prove it to you. Psalm 127, verse 2, it says, It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. You know what the word vain means? It means useless, powerless, produces nothing. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. There's that word again, sorrow, toiling. What are you doing when you stay up late and get up early? You're losing sleep. Why? Because you can't quit thinking. You can't shut your mind off. You are worried about tomorrow. And Jesus said later in that same chapter of Matthew chapter 6, he said, do not worry about tomorrow worry over tomorrow is robbing you of sleep. And this verse goes on in Psalm 127 verse 2 to say, for God, for so God gives, there's that word gives, which you know, when you see that, that grace is in operation, he gives his beloved sleep. You are his beloved and he's giving you sleep. He's giving you the sleep and the rest that you need this might make you laugh, but uh, years ago, I used to work with a guy a little older than me, and he was he was a guy that was really into you know men's health and and nutrition and being fit. And uh, he he brought an article one time to work, and he was sharing this with some of the guys at work. He said this article was about how most everybody, uh, particularly in America, but probably around the world, most people are in sleep debt. Sleep debt, D E B T, sleep debt, and he said uh, the article, the guy who wrote the article said you need to think about it like this. He he said every hour that you're awake is like putting a brick on your shoulder. You know, work would be harder with bricks on your shoulder. Living life, you don't live as free. You don't move as quickly. You, you're, you're literally weighed down. He said, every hour you're awake is like putting a brick on your shoulder. And he said, every hour you're asleep is like taking two off. So sleeping for one hour would be the same as taking two bricks off your shoulder. So if you're awake, 16 hours a day, you've put on 16 bricks. And if you're asleep, eight hours, then you're taking off 16 and you wake up even again. Now, I don't know what the science is behind all this, but for some reason that just stuck with me. <laughs> it just, it never left me. And even to this day, I might lay in bed if and if I'm not sleeping well, for some reason, I'm thinking, okay, how many hours was I awake? Okay, how many bricks do I have on my shoulders? So I need to sleep this many number of hours so I can take the bricks off. But, but really, I think it's a pretty good picture of being burdened. And toiling under that weight. And the scripture is telling us here there is a gift that God has given us, and it's the, this gift of sleep, and He's given it to His beloved. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 24 says, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. I know right now that I am talking to probably many people who are losing their sleep on a regular basis because you can't shut down your toiling, spinning mind. And I want you to hear me clearly right now. You are God's beloved, and to you He has given sleep, and this promise is to you from the Word. And you say this out loud every night if you have to. I lie down and I will not be afraid. I will lie down and my sleep will be sweet. And to me, you know what sweet sleep is? A lot of it. (laughs) I love a good night's sleep. Listen to this out of Psalm chapter four, verse eight. It says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Oh, that must mean that peace is guarding your heart from, from anxious thought, keeping you awake. It says, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What would it be like to lay down at night? without worried, anxious thought, having cast all your care onto the one who cares for you. Well, if you cast that care when you go to rest, in exchange for that, that, that's you humbling yourself, and in exchange for your humility, what do you get? You get grace. You get the gift. What gift? The gift of God's rest, protected by His peace, Man, every night that Sarah and I put our little boy, Justice, to bed, you know what we say? We pray over him and we say, Father, we thank you tonight for good dreams and good thoughts. Good dreams and good thoughts. I want that little boy sleeping good, sleeping all the way through the night. Yes, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want him resting in the peace of God. And what's so funny about Justice, you know, if if you've heard us speak before, you've probably heard me talk quite a bit about him, but I, I continue to learn so much from this kid every single day of my life and his. And, um, you, you know, there, there are times we put him down to sleep and he falls right to sleep. But there are other times he just kind of lays awake. And, and it's great because now we have these video monitors. You know, maybe when you and I were kids, we just had the audio monitors and moms and dads could hear when we were crying. But now, in this day of technology, we've got these video monitors. So I've got this tiny little ca- camera in Justice room that sends a video image to our room and we can see what's going on. So if he's crying, we can kind of check it out. Is he faking it? Is it for real? And it's just made a big difference. Well, one night we saw that Justice had gotten up again and he wasn't in his bed, but he hadn't come out of his room. He couldn't figure out what he was doing. So I said, okay, well, I'll go in there. And I, I opened the door and of course it's pitch black in there and I'm feeling my way around. I can't see anything. And I find Justice standing beside his bed. So I kind of get down on one knee, right? And I said, Justice, what are you doing out of bed, buddy? It's time to go to sleep. And I couldn't see him, but I heard him. And he said, he, in response to me, he said, Saw hands, daddy, saw hands. I said, saw hands? What, what are you saying, Justice? What are you talking about? It's time for sleep. He said, saw hands, Daddy, saw hands. And he kept saying this to me, and I'm thinking, what is this kid saying? Finally, Justice reached out his hand in the pitch black and touched the side of my face, and I could feel that my son, who was two years old at the time, had taken his socks off and put them on each of his hands. And what was he saying? Sock hands daddy sock hands Justice had made up a game and evidently it's called sock hands <laughs> and, and now I think he gets this from this little book that Sarah had been reading to him at night it's a long story but basically there's a moose a moose and at some point in the book the moose decides to make sock puppets and so I think that's what Justice was doing playing sock hands in the middle of the night And maybe it wasn't quite that late, but, you know, we're tired. We're ready for him to go to bed. But here's the point. The point is, Justice, even when he's laying there awake, he's not worried about anything. He is not laying there with anxious thought. My son is not worried about where breakfast is coming from in the morning. It's just always there for him. Why? Mommy and Daddy love me, and I guess out of that love, they feed me. He's not laying awake at night, worried about what he's going to wear tomorrow. Why? Because he's probably just going to wear the pajamas he has on right now all day long. Ah, the blessed life of a two-year-old. Mommy and Daddy love me. They clothe me. They feed me. He's not worried. And can I tell you something? Something. You and I would be better off laying in bed, if you can't sleep, you'd be better off playing sock hands than you would be laying there worried about tomorrow. You would be more productive taking the socks off your feet, putting them on your hands, and if you're married, you just roll over to your husband or wife and you'd say, What? Sock hands, baby. Sock hands. It's time to play. You'd be better off playing sock hands than you would be worried about tomorrow. I am telling you, you'd even be more productive because worrying is not adding anything to tomorrow. Worry is not bringing growth in any area of your life for tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it's hindering your growth. And you would be so much better off. You and I would be so much better off to cast the care onto the Lord. And what better way to show that you have cast your care than to play some stupid, silly little game called sock hands. You and I can learn a lesson from my two-year-old. Take some socks off your feet, put them on your hands, and if you have to, put on a puppet show. What's the point? Laugh a little bit. Laugh a little bit. Guys, we've got to learn to relax and laugh And enjoy the life that God has given us. Psalm chapter 23. You've heard this, the 23rd Psalm. What does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means you don't lack for anything. Why? Because you worked for it? No, because Jesus is your shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is all the gift of God causing you to lie down, causing your sleep to be sweet. He's restoring your soul. I just know by the leadership of the Spirit of God that there is somebody that you've been robbed of your sleep night after night, and the word of the Lord to you is that he wants to, by his grace, restore that to you. Why? Because a well-rested body fights off sickness better than a tired body. Did you know that? Did you know a well-rested mind thinks more clearly than a mind that is toiling and spinning and having stayed awake for way too long? And besides all that, a well-rested person is just a nicer person to be around. So often people are just cranky and rude and mean, and you want to know what the answer is? Man, go in there and take a nap. You need some sleep, but not toilsome sleep, not worried sleep. Nothing but good dreams and good thoughts. Why? Because you are God's beloved And he gives his beloved sleep. And it is vain, powerless, useless to stay up all night, get up early in the morning, worried about tomorrow. This is the gift of God's rest. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for this precious gift. Thank you, Jesus, for making the exchange with us all of our burden, all of our worry and our toil in exchange for all of your grace and your rest. Lord, I thank you that our spirits can be at rest because of the finished work of Jesus. And out of that spirit rest, you have energized and infused our souls with strength and you've set your own peace as a guard over our heart to keep our minds, our wills, and our emotions at rest. And Lord, as we learn to rest in our souls, we thank you for giving sweet peaceful rest to our bodies we take our rest in you we take our rest from you jesus and we receive it jesus i hear you saying to so many who are listening the same thing that you said to your disciples that day when they came home from the mission field what did you say to them you said lord you told them to come away by themselves and rest a while And if the Lord is saying that to you right now, then you need to obey him. You need to do it and do it right away. If you have not been on vacation in a decade, what are you thinking? Come away by yourself and rest. If you haven't taken a day off this week, a Sabbath day, a day of rest, what are you thinking? You need that. Come away by yourself and rest. And let the Lord do what only he can do, which is restore your soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.